Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to the making and the remaking of a codependent mind. We've talked quite a bit in this podcast about the connection between narcissism and codependency, expressed often in a the form of a toxic relationship between someone with narcissistic behaviors and someone with codependent behaviors. This season is about hearing other voices in the conversation. So ideally, it would be great to have someone who is narcissistic come on the podcast. Yeah, right. It sounds a lot like a lot of fun. <laughs> it does. Um, so we could have their voice represented. Unfortunately, their narcissism would probably prevent them from listening to the podcast, let alone... Having an honest discussion about uh, narcissistic traits. Exactly. Yeah. But we thought it w- it's important to go back to this topic because the combination, again, of narcissistic behaviors and codependent behaviors is so damaging. It's just extremely risky and dangerous, right? Because there's a lot of toxic relationships out there. But this there's something about the combination of these two personality disorders that is really problematic. And we've we've heard from people who are still kind of struggling to identify narcissism in their partners. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, we had this we've had this recent conversation about there is overlapping behavior as well. Yeah, absolutely. So some people who are struggling with codependency are concerned about some of their behaviors and whether that makes them a narcissist. So we're just going to the two of us going to try and represent the narcissist of the world yeah. <laughs> and talk about what's going on there a little bit more. And so a little bit of a retread of, of some of the stuff that's come in, in the earlier seasons, but hopefully uh, will be helpful in, in for people trying to think through the relationships in their lives and the people in their lives and, and kind of identify which ones are working and not working and need to be avoided or exited from. And it can be especially helpful to have these things in mind when setting out to just meet new people, potential relationships, True. to really have this in mind. Look out for these red flags. Yeah, if you're especially if you're kind of a recovering codependent, so mm-hmm. to speak. We should say that we have tried to be careful about not labeling people who exhibit codependent behaviors or tendencies as codependents. Right. Like, that's a codependent person. Exactly. But we haven't been that careful (laughs) with the narcissists. We feel more comfortable calling them narcissists rather than people who have narcissistic behaviors. Well, although I'll I'll say, you know, we're not labeling them in some kind of medical way or something. We're not saying people with NPD or narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. This is not a dis- like a medical discussion or a diagnosis or something. This is just looking for behaviors, just like we're looking for behaviors with codependent behavior. Yeah, it does come down to that. I think it's still about narcissistic behaviors. I think one reason that I'm more inclined to call them narcissists is that there seems to be quite a bit of overlap between narcissists and terrible people. <laughs> yeah. And then most of the narcissists that say you've experienced... And you've had a number of experiences, not just the ones we've talked about with R and J. There's also been friendships in your past. Yes, right. Yeah, and yeah. When when I did all the kind of forensic research, because I I pretty much started recent and then went back. And once I started to get that understanding, I started applying it to people I knew throughout my life, and I was like, holy crap! It seemed like a good majority of the people in that I had longer term friendships with also were on that spectrum of narcissism. 
Yeah, had narcissistic behaviors yeah. for sure. And and part of that was treating you badly, mm-hmm. consistently without seemingly any care at all of the hurt that they caused, which is not the case that I have found with people who exhibit codependent behaviors. Not that they never hurt people with those behaviors, but there's a, there's a real concern about the harm that they've caused and a real empathy for the people that they're involved with, which which we do not see with with people with narcissistic behaviors, because that's kind of a cornerstone of narcissism. Well, yeah, I mean, we can we can talk about the different traits and and why that is. So I, I guess that's why I'm, I'm less concerned about hurting people with narcissistic behaviors feelings by calling them narcissists, because I think very very often. They're terrible people. Yeah. There's a little more damage overall on society, I think, by people that exhibit those behaviors. So, you know, the language around that might be a little more more sloppy. This episode, again, we're going to try and be more explicit maybe than we have in the past about how some of the narcissistic behaviors and the codependent behaviors do in fact overlap. But we want to also reiterate the ways in which they are different. And in some cases, kind of almost opposite. Yes, right. Opposite in the way that they unfortunately get kind of stuck together, like this kind of magnetic opposition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And then also, we're going to be drawing from your experience, as you said, not just with the two romantic relationships, but also numerous friendships. We're going to use your experience to kind of give some more tips, concrete tips on how to spot mm-hmm. a narcissist. Yeah, I mean, I can give concrete examples, but in some cases, it's like every single one of them did X, Y, or Z. So, I mean, that's how common these behaviors <laughs> can be. We've talked about this in another episode. I think it was the one dependency, codependency, and interdependency. It's very possible that the same trauma can push someone into codependent behaviors or could push someone into narcissistic behaviors. It can be the same situation, but it's the response that comes out of that traumatic experience. So to me, I developed my codependent behaviors as a response to that trauma, and then that became my go-to behavior. And some people will develop narcissistic behaviors in response to their trauma. So trauma, again, being made to feel small or weak or powerless or under threat consistently as a child. Mm-hmm. whether that's from within the home or outside the home or from your culture or all, all of them all together. So some of the similarities that we've seen in narcissistic behaviors and codependent behaviors are one, they both involve a high degree of self-centeredness. It's kind of like being at emotional capacity and not really being able to incorporate other people really very well. It's just, I'm trying to protect myself at almost at all times. Yeah, this, this, this hyper-vigilance. You're centered on yourself because you see yourself as under threat almost all the time because that's the way you were conditioned as a child. And so in my case, I employ my codependent behaviors to deal with that. And in a narcissistic person's case, they're, they're employing those behaviors. So there's the high degree of self-centeredness is also both can involve controlling behaviors, trying to control the people around them. Yeah. And I think there's a tendency for people to try to kind of downplay the uh, severity of the effects of codependent behaviors on other people. They go, well, it's not really controlling, is it? It, it is. I mean, it's the, the style of controlling behavior is a little different and, the, and what's behind it is a little different, right? So codependent person is just trying to keep themselves safe, basically. They're, it's this sort of in, internalized trauma and they're trying to control other people's emotions. I can't handle the fact that that person's angry, so I'm going to try to diffuse it. So it's not necessarily I'm trying to you know, I'm not attacking that person necessarily. I'm just trying to control their emotion. It's not good, and you're not going to have a good relationship doing that, obviously. But then on the narcissistic side, 
It's the the controlling the other person out of this entitlement. Need for resources. Yeah. So controlling self-centeredness and, and those things obviously can block, block empathetic responses, which can make human connection really difficult. If you're just constantly in survival mode, if you're constantly looking out for yourself, for whatever reason that is, it's really going to be hard to make a human connection that's based on vulnerability to each other and empathy for each other. Because I have lots of examples of myself temporarily being severed from empathy when, when I'm triggered. And I have lots of examples of where I can tell the narcissistic people in my life were also extremely severed from their empathetic responses. So even though, it, you know, again, they often look different on the outside, this very fragile sense of self and a sense of shame and fear are also very much at the center of a narcissistic person's experience, just as a codependent person. And they're both emotionally dysregulated because their emotional landscapes are somewhat chaotic or, or hidden from themselves. Both types of people are, are actively having to avoid their emotions a lot of the time because it's just the emotions aren't going to make sense mm -hmm. in, in the framework of what they're experiencing. So in that earlier episode, we kind of talked about how you could have a similar trauma, right? But the codependent response is almost to kind of turn inward to shrink yourself, shrink your own wants, needs, and desires, become compliant. And then the narcissistic response is, is kind of turn outward, like get bigger and larger, you know, explode your own wants, needs and desires to be the most important thing in the world and lean into extreme defiance. Like you were always right and everyone else is always wrong. Yeah. And both people are, are kind of taking that on as a, their habitual response and almost preemptively assuming they have to do it in every case. I mean, I know I did with my codependent behaviors and it seems as though that's the case with narcissistic people just assuming that they are special, extra special, and need extra attention and validation. and Deserve it. And yeah, they deserve it. Then we start to see that, that opposition happening, right? So there are these similarities that, that they get expressed that, because it's response to Trump and response to being made to feel small and weak and perilous, which is which is terrible. But So now we're going to kind of explore the, the differences a little bit, these, this opposition, what it looks like when you turn that inward against yourself and what it looks like when you turn it outward against the rest of the world. So if people are concerned, if they're narcissists, <laughs> which again, if you're listening to this podcast, is extremely unlikely that you're a narcissist. Well, that and if you're asking, oh, am I a narcissist? You're probably not. Yeah, even if you ask the question. But if, <laughs> if you have concern, you know, we're going to do a little, this is the narcissistic behavior. This is the codependence behavior that is kind of, it's I don't know what we want how we want to call it. it it's it's opposite, but it's it's, like it's shadow. You know, right? These, it's almost like a yin and a yang or yeah, something. Yeah, yin right? and yang behavior. Right? Okay, but also just just to clarify too, you know, like we said earlier, there there not all people are going to exhibit. You know, it's not like a codependent person is never going to exhibit narcissistic behaviors. Mm -hmm. I mean, there the whole thing is a spectrum, right? There's less severe narcissistic people also just like there are less severe codependent people. Right. So just kind of see which ones you, which one is your more go-to. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll start with a narcissistic behavior would be feeling and acting entitled to your wants, desires, needs to be prioritized in any situation. And then on the codependent side, it's, it's prioritizing other people's feelings and needs and wants and not feeling the right to your own wants and desires. And then we have the narcissistic behavior, which would be showing little respect for other people's autonomy, their time, their attention, their opinions. And then the codependent behavior being feeling that you owe other people your time and your attention and your support. We have the narcissistic behavior, which would be excusing or rationalizing any and all 
of your own behaviors, including treating other people badly. Right. And then the codependent side being rationalizing and excusing other people's bad behavior, including when the codependent person themselves is being treated badly by others. And we have the narcissistic behavior of acting like you are the most important person in the room. And the codependent side being acting like you are the least important person in the room. So again, this is why this combination is so dangerous for a codependent person, because we have their behavior plugs in exactly into what the narcissist wants and expects from other people. They want to be treated as if their wants and needs are the most important. They want to have full access to other people's resources, their time, their attention, their opinions. They want their behaviors to be excused and rationalized. And these are all things that the codependent person has been conditioned to offer them. So the average person that the narcissistic person comes across is not going to freely give these things up. It's going to take a lot more work to get that stuff out of somebody that doesn't just freely offer it up. So they come across a codependent person and it's like, wow, I feel really comfortable and seen and validated by this person. I'm going to make this happen as quickly as possible. (laughs) And with for the codependent person, their tendencies, which again, are not bad. These are caretaking and people pleasing. None of these behaviors are in and of themselves bad behaviors, but they get triggered and activated by the narcissistic demands being placed on them. And it can be very hard to withdraw from that situation that and that relationship. Yeah. And it can be very hard to see that it's even happening if you're buried and you're shutting off your emotions. And it's, wow, okay, I, this feels familiar. I know what to do in this situation. I'm good at this. So let's talk about more seeing and understanding what's happening. How, how do these narcissistic behaviors play out in relationships and what should you be looking for and what you should be listening for? And we're going to start actually with love bombing, which we've talked about, this kind of overwhelming destabilizing attention that narcissists give to people very early on in the relationship. For whatever reason, we have our own theories of why we think this is. We haven't really settled on one, though. No, no. I mean, it's just this kind of strange phenomenon. Like, is there a narcissist school that they all go to right. learn how to love, love bomb? But... How to how to secure a relationship in narcissistic one hundred and one in under ten days? Yeah, right. Because you know, I do think it's difficult for the average narcissistic person to land a relationship unless they're really successful, very charming, that they don't have to do as much work to convince people that that their grandiose personality is a reality. But the love bombing is, yeah, it's this just all-out communication bombardment. Right. So let's, some of the elements, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be nonstop or the desire for almost nonstop communication. There's going to be potentially showering you with gifts, with compliments, with attention. There's going to be introduction of languages like I love you very early on. Mm-hmm. And with those compliments, from my experience, they're kind of over the top too. It's like, because it goes along with the grandiosity. Wow, I've never experienced anything like this before. You're, I, I've never met someone like you before. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the most X, you're the best at this, you're the handsomest person I've ever seen before, or whatever. Those kind of like, wow, these extreme over the top. And this rush to be in a relationship, mm-hmm. to define it as a relationship with all the attending obligations and responsibilities, <laughs> including often a rush to move in together, mm-hmm. uh, can be a rush to introduce sex into the relationship. Yeah, a rush to do all kinds of other things, to move the relationship along. In my case, it was a rush for the two romantic partners to become financially dependent on me. 
as a, as a form of control. A lot of times it's the opposite, a rush to make the other person dependent on you um, financially. But either way, it's this, this kind of rush to make these things happen as quickly as possible to kind of secure that control. So that's something to watch out for. Yeah. <laughs> if you are being love bombed, if you feel destabilized, that's why it's called love bombing. It's a destabilizing experience so that you don't take a beat, that you don't take a minute and really think about why am I rushing into this? Do I really know the person? Did the other person know me? So it's, yeah. it's both kind of destabilizing you in order to get you into a situation in which they have more control. And that is now a relationship and you have obligations to them. But it's also to kind of get you addicted to being treated really well, showered with attention again and compliments, potentially gifts and taking you on trips. And, because that's going to allow them to, in short order, treat you not very well. Right. Yeah, which was also the case with my experiences with, with my two romantic relationships, but also with the friendships. It was very quick to the abusive behaviors, too, for me. I mean, we're talking the first week. In some cases, the first conversation, really, the abusive behaviors Yours started. was intermingled. Yeah, it was all intermingled because it was kind of this push for control that was masked with dangling of things like relationship and stuff like that. In my particular case, I had such low self-esteem both times I met the two romantic partners, that I think they could both pick up on that. And it's like, well, I'm going to give him an offer he can't refuse. And I'm just mirroring everything. And I'm I'm getting excited. Wow, someone's, someone's into me? That's unusual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this feels interesting. And I'm, I was matching the love bombing, as in like, they're reaching out to me constantly, and I'm responding constantly. Which is your codependent behaviors being activated. Mm-hmm. And them not giving you any chance to, to sit back and reflect. So then, yeah, so the bad behavior starts. What does that kind of look like? Just to go back to the narcissistic behavior we just listed, these are behaviors that you should start to notice, start to appear probably fairly quickly. And again, all of these behaviors in and of themselves are necessarily terrible, right? And we all do them to some degree, but you, you put them all together. It's a pretty terrible package and it becomes again extremely activating for a codependent person and extremely difficult to get out of these situations Mm -hmm. so starting with the one acting like they're the most important person in the room Mm -hmm. so this is the grandiosity that narcissists are kind of known for yeah so every single narcissistic person that i've known throughout my life including all the friendships it seems like musical taste seems to be kind of this low-hanging fruit for whatever reason i found that every narcissistic person that i found had this extreme possessiveness about their musical taste and while at the same time being very condescending about everyone else's musical taste it was this badge of creativity or something like look at how how special i am for my musical taste there was also these i i mean i have examples of of several of them doing these like the first to to do something and bragging about oh i was the first you know like in the case of r i was the first to make hula hooping cool <laughs> you know it wasn't yeah. cool until i started doing it uh, you know as a fitness thing yeah they're, they're always me and, in early Yes. on any trend they're the trendsetters mm-hmm. and also biggest fan i mean that's all that was a huge thing with almost all of them like kind of this this attitude towards they find something that they think looks good for their image and then it's just like thrust so much energy into that and it has to be public too so that's the other part of it is i very rarely ex- witnessed any of these people really enjoying these things on their own it seemed like they had to be sharing it somehow. Yeah, so I mean, in the more recent cases, being R and J, because social media existed, it, social media didn't exist with my previous friends, so it's, it was a little more difficult to spot. But I mean, it's it was this excessive need to share, constantly share 
read a book and, and say, I'm the biggest fan of this particular author, but only read a couple of pages and then be taking photographs of the pages so that you can share it online and show how clever you are. Yeah, so they're, they're always the biggest fan. They're always the first to do something. They were doing everything before it was cool. Mm-hmm. But also, they're extremely good at the best of everything that they do. Or the things they've done or doing are the, the most unique or interesting. So if they're not the best at it, it's not worth doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, like in the case of R, she, right from the first conversation and then all throughout, was, was always pushing this to look more interesting than everyone. I think anytime it seemed like that was threatened, she would just put everyone else down, either behind their backs, mostly behind their backs to me, obviously. Oh, they're posers. They're, everyone else is a poser, or they, they don't get it, or they're not actually cool, or whatever it is. And But me, though, I have the most interesting history. She's the uh, real deal. And then, you you know, you talked about one of your narcissistic friends from high school, like saying things that kind of even were very believable. <laughs> yeah, the, particularly that friend in high school, but I, I the others too, would catch him in, in lies constantly, just kind of these inconsistencies, I would hear he would say one particular thing one day that was very grandiose. And I was like, I don't know if I believe that, but he's really leaning into it. And then the next day, he says it completely in a completely different way. So it's like, wait a second. And that happened eventually with R&J as well. Their stories changed over the course of your relationship as as they use them in different ways. Too. Yeah. And when I first hear him, I was like, okay, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not looking out for narcissism. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I just like, I guess, I mean, that's that could be believable. I'm gonna... But then yeah, I would hear something later. And yeah, it's a totally different story. But this grandiosity, you've said before, did have this fragility to it. It was very easily threatened. And when it was threatened, how would they respond? All of them would feel extremely slighted. It is in like, they acted as if they were under attack, if someone didn't buy into something. So they say share something, or express something to someone in person. And if that person didn't buy it, if they just didn't seem as though they thought it was the coolest thing in the world, then there was something wrong with that person, or that person was attacking them or against them somehow. Or jealous. Or... Yeah, jealous, envious, something. You know, it was never just, there was, it was no possible way that it could be that maybe this isn't as cool as I thought or whatever. Like, it's just like there's something wrong with that person. And there's this paranoia as well. Yeah, right. And so my codependent behaviors were to always, I was constantly soothing these people. Like, no, 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 you you are, you are cool. No, that yeah, screw that person. They don't know what they're talking about. And that was the kind of stuff they were fishing for that with me. And I was happy to provide it. So we have the grandiosity that, you know, comes out and starts to kind of touch every aspect of their <laughs> of their life, yeah. but also the sense of fragility to it, where they, they seem kind of hyper-attuned to potential threats to that self-image. And then we have the class of behavior around excusing or rationalizing any or all of their behavior, including treating other people badly, which is really the extreme version of no accountability. Again, like we're talking about, these are extreme versions. No one particularly likes to say that they were wrong, but you will start to notice with the narcissist that it's almost pathological. There is no situation in which they are wrong. I would see it. So first of all, I experienced it firsthand in any argument that ever happened. The resolution was always, there had to be someone's right and, and someone's wrong to start with, which doesn't always have to be how arguments go. And this is not even, it doesn't even have to be an argument. We're talking, you know, we're just talking about maybe just even lower level, like a disagreement or a disconnect. Yeah, yeah, right. It doesn't have to turn into an argument or anything. But well, for one thing, it did usually. And when it did, though, the other person had to be right. You know, there was a need to come out on top of every conversation. So there would be lying. Yeah, which was easy enough for me to spot. Of course, I rewrote it and tried to dismiss it because I would excuse 
they're like as we said earlier they're excusing their own behavior and i'm turning around and excusing it too so they would just make things up on the fly in order to to shift the argument or the disagreement their way yeah i had this term that i started using I, and i've been using it for a long or i had been using it for a long time i think throughout most of rnj was it had this feeling of twilight zone where i was like what is happening here like this i'm 100 percent confident that i remember a certain thing somehow but no or a conversation from just yesterday or something no now it's totally different you're saying something completely different and they're aggressively if not violently insisting that they're the case so you have the line and then the then that we've talked about the gaslighting which is Mm -hmm. not just lying but also trying to make it about you that you're making things that you're making things up that you're paranoid that you need help so that's language that's going to come out as part of this no accountability of narcissists yeah, so this kind of uh, I know you better my, than you know yourself awesome. is like a great example of that. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to or I'm going to tell you how you're feeling, not just how you're supposed to feel, but how you are feeling. No, you're not feeling angry. You're just you're just feeling this. And then uh, along with that, there's going to be dismissal language, dismissing your reaction or your like you just said, dismissing even what you're feeling. Right. I mean, that's extreme version of dismissal. I'd, I'd say that goes as far as gaslighting. But yeah, I mean, uh, a common one that R would do is a- after this, like a, one of those abusive kind of assaults. If I ever asked, said, "Can you please stop treating me or stop calling me stupid or something?" It would be like, "I was just kidding." Jeez. But then it would be, of course, followed by more abuse because it'd be like, "You have no sense of humor." You right. Know? You're too sensitive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then if those fail, there's also excusing or rationalizing their behavior kind of more directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like with Jay, it would be like, well, you know, I I was just feeling ill. You know, I was feeling tired or I was feeling hungry. And and, don't approach me when I'm basically I'm a terrible person when I'm hungry or tired. And again, so it's your fault because you (laughs) you approached her. Yeah, you approached her. You know, she has the complete right to be a terrible person if she she feels cold or hungry. And then another class of behavior you're going to be looking for is as we said, showing little respect for other people's autonomy, their time, their attention, their opinions. So this is really about violating other people's boundaries at Mm -hmm. will. So a a good example would be how a narcissistic person will react with anger or guilt or some other manipulative behavior when someone says no, basically, or or doesn't respond to them as quickly as they want or in, in the way they want. And this was consistent in all of these friendships and relationships you had. Yes. So, I mean, time would be the first example because this started right from day one, right? If, if I didn't respond to, say, a text quickly enough, and sometimes when I say quickly enough, it could be a minute or something. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It was, it was expected that I would reply. My time was their time. Yeah, it almost seemed as though they owned my time just because they were so kind enough to give me the gift of their presence in my life. But not just your time, also... Your attention, your financial resources, your sexual attention, all of these things, if you felt that you didn't at any particular moment want to give it to them, there would be a reaction, whether that would be anger or guilt or some sort of manipulative behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was this assumption that I didn't have autonomy. Including, say, your own thoughts and feelings and opinions of those things. So, for example, with R, if, if I ever... Pretty much any time I, I expressed an opinion about something, if she, if this didn't line up with something that she had already expressed or commonly expressed, then I was stupid. That was uh, that was the the response. That right? was her go-to. Yeah. So there, it wasn't you know oh that's an interesting take or you know like I can see how you might think that I believe this you know there's there's no disagreement allowed. 
Was that true of, of all of them? Yes. Yeah, yeah more or less. My, my mind just goes to R. But yeah, I mean, with every narcissistic person that I was with, that was the general feeling I had. I mean, I was already felt at risk expressing my opinions, but, you know, it's not like I never did. And when I did, that's usually how it was met, that my opinions were crazy somehow, ridiculous, or it, as long as it didn't line up with theirs. And the showing little respect for other people's autonomy leads right into this kind of even more intense version of that that we're talking about, which is feeling entitled to their own wants and desires to be prioritized in any situation. Right. So there's no, in this case, if we did the episode on you, me and us recently, there's none, there's, there's no you, me and us. There's basically that narcissistic person. That's the you, me and us. <laughs> any aspect of the, of the relationship, including any autonomy I may have belongs to that person. And any desire or need that they have at the particular time is the most important Yes, one. it must be prioritized. So that crosses all the kind of domains, financial, social, emotional, sexual. If they have a need or desire or want, that needs to be prioritized, mm -hmm. regardless of how their partner or their friend feels about the situation, or regardless of what their partner or their friend needs or wants or desires at that particular time. Yeah, and I can very clearly remember that there was no interest in what my needs or desires were. It just, it didn't matter. I didn't express it anyway because I kept myself small. That's why it worked. That goes back to this toxic yin and yang. So they weren't going to ask and I wasn't going to tell them what my needs were. Made it very easy to prioritize theirs. If they wanted to have a certain social interaction, they wanted to go to a social, social event and you're like, I'm tired. No, that's not going to fly. <laughs> a good partner would go with them or you would receive shame or insults because you were not up for it. Or there'll be some, they'll make up something like, I told you to take a nap earlier or something. <laughs> Same with emotional. If they're having an emotion, that's the most important emotion in the room. And you you talked about, say, with Jay, it was it was anger. Right. So it's it's looping me into it no matter what. And, and, and I'm a part of it. I have to be a part of her anger. I have to be lining up with it and taking it in. I mean, but her anger was screaming at me like I was a little child. Or yelling at her computer. I mean, you, yeah. you talked about you would be at work, mm -hmm. working from home, and she would be in another room going off at something going wrong with her phone or her computer, and then you would need to address that. In that case, it did feel a little similar to my dad, except that I see a huge difference between what's behind it. You know, my dad was just, he couldn't handle frustration and things not going as planned or as hoped. With her, it's, it was this clear, I am entitled to getting a reaction out of this. I'm having a hard time here. He needs to drop what he's doing and come and help soothe this. So we have, again, this grandiosity that you're going, that it's going to be revealed <laughs> that they're also excusing and rationalizing all of any and all of their behavior and the various methods they use to do that including gaslighting and dismissing, that little respect for other people's autonomy rooted in this deep feeling of entitlement that their own wants, needs, and desires should be prioritized in any situation. So other people are, are simply resources for that to happen. Other people's time, other people's attentions, other people's opinions are not things to be respected, but things to be folded into their own experience. So to reduce it even further, let's see if we can get it down to a few words. It's going to start with love bombing. You're going to see grandiosity, rationalization, and entitlement. Does that sound like a... Yes, and most likely some form of abuse, possibly as early as the first week of knowing this person. There's going to be some kind of condescension, belittlement, you know, dismissal. Gaslighting could start from the very first week of knowing this, of this type of person. So yeah, if, if it's like, wait, 
hmm, I'm not used to someone insulting me or telling me that my tastes are stupid or I'm dressing stupid or something like that. Particularly when they just told me how handsome and interesting and exciting I am. Right. Part of of the whole chaotic destabilization of the, the love bombing. It's hard to see all that and separate all that, obviously. You're not tuned in. And if you're activated, if your trauma has been activated. But, yeah. It's very important to be on the lookout for these things. And, and if you've come this far in the podcast, most likely you know a few things about yourself. You have some self-awareness at this point. But you shouldn't feel any shame if you fall in with a narcissist. Yes. Because again, these are very powerful forces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these are behaviors that they formed out of trauma. So they've been practicing them yep. for decades, possibly, when they meet you. Your behaviors deeply ingrained in habitual again over decades so it's worthwhile this might be a time to call a friend for instance yes right yeah and just fill them in on what's going on yeah for sure wave the narcissistic detector over the situation yes that sounds like a very good idea well we hope this has been somewhat helpful as we all try to kind of navigate these social spaces that have potential bombs in them and we will be back in a couple weeks with uh, another guest and we hope you join us. Thank you.